The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. Thank you for being here today. And you can be here every week if you hit the subscribe button. It'll notify you each week when we drop the next episode. Everyone has it, Spotify, Apple, Amazon. Just hit that subscribe. We all want our children to have friendships, to have good relationships, but a lot goes into that. They need to know empathy. They need to know how to get along with people. And it all starts the second they're born. We're talking about emotional development. I spoke with Caprice Paduano, who is a professor who has taught at multiple colleges about emotional development and it was the full range we talked from birth to the teenage years how to help your children along this process you can't do it for them but you can help so let's check it out it's more than just being able to be happy or sad or or engaged but it's about how do we interact with others as well well and empathy and things like that Correct, correct. And knowing the difference between empathy and sympathy. So yeah, really understanding, do you understand how they feel or do you just feel some support for them? So absolutely. Yeah, well, I wanna go through the whole spectrum of (laughs) development with this conversation. And the first thing I think about is babies. And there's this philosophy for some people that, Sometimes when a baby cries, you should just let them cry it out. And that's their way of teaching themselves how to deal. What do you think about that philosophy? I think the ability for kiddos, especially babies, kind of that true solid infancy stage at birth to 12 months, they need to learn some self-soothing capabilities. Mm -hmm. So the ability to really... um, fix how they feel and to calm themselves down is important, but they can't learn that until they understand what a supportive environment looks like. So that two month old who is laying there just crying and sobbing and this whole philosophy of letting them cry it out actually doesn't benefit them until they know that somebody will actually come and help them if needed. So those crying babies yeah, you don't have to rush in there and pick them up within, you know, two seconds of those first tears. But when they're really young, building those, that foundational knowledge of understanding that someone will help fix them is so important. Um, so even though it's that weird philosophy, like let them cry it out at night until they fall asleep, that can work when they're three or four. But as babies, they don't know how to self-soothe yet. So we have to teach them. And by doing, the only way to teach kids that age is to model it. Another thing with babies is they're always kind of staring and taking everything (laughs) in, you know, or you're like at the mall or something, there's a baby just staring at you. Um, (laughs) why, Why are babies like that? Or what's that about? Well, um, 
I mean, I always say that kids aren't um, stupid. They're just short. It's kind of this, this idea that they're just small little adults taking everything in. Um, kids miss very little and it's very evident when you see them, but really babies are learning only through imitation. They don't have the ability to talk yet. They don't have the ability to regulate emotions. They don't have the ability to communicate like you and I do if we're upset with each other or scared or feeling an emotion. So they just watch and that's how they do it. And they're dying for interaction. So they're looking at you because they want you to respond because babies are so conditioned to respond to other people's emotions. And so, I mean, first laughs happen. Um, First laughs get repeated because people loved that first giggle. Um, First kissy faces get repeated because somebody loved it and mimicked it back and reacted. So babies are just it's all give and take with babies. Yeah. And then the time between zero and three, it's interesting how personality traits of a two or three-year-old, you, you can kind of be like, I, I get a sense of what they're going to be like when they're older <laughs> too, or those personal traits are so strong. Why is that time so important, that zero to three? That's the time when kiddos are really building these foundational strategies and skills to do things. And we do know that characteristics are very enduring. That means that they stick around forever, really. And um, there's lots of debate if characteristics are inherited. So if it's um, nurture versus nature kind of things. Yeah. So How, how can we be supportive of kids in that time or they're developing so much then? What's the right thing to do? Even though this might not be the favorite opinion of everybody, but we've got to get kids turned off of screen time. Um, Even those things that we think are super educational shows that we plug in like Mozart for babies and all of those different types of things. Kids benefit the most at that early stage from building quality relationships and interactions with live human beings. Mm -hmm. And so um, they have to have people that they trust they have to have a good solid core of people that that are dependable to meet their fundamental basic needs, you know, food, clothing, shelter, love, those, those four basic needs. But mostly what we can do with kids at this age is to allow for kids to communicate and be a part of our worlds. You know, we have, we're raising kids in a society right now where we think it's okay if we put an educational screen in front of them that they're going to get that. But what they miss in that is the give and take that comes with it. You can only watch TV for so long and you can watch people do and show and model behaviors, but you can't practice with a screen. And um, I firmly believe um, that um, instead of saying practice makes perfect, we say firmly practice makes progress towards understanding emotions. And if we don't interact with kids, they're never going to get it. Well, and sometimes kids just kind of imitate when they see on TV. And it's like, well, you just saw some like animal on TV doing that or something. Exactly right. Exactly right. And and they also sometimes don't understand what setting to use things in. Um, You know, four-year-olds are really, really loud. If, if you've ever been in yeah. a preschool classroom with three and four-year-olds, it's a very loud environment. 
And we know by research base that that's because they've gotten their voice for the first time, but they haven't learned how to control that voice. They understand that words and vocalization gets them what they need. And they finally fully understand that right between the ages of three, four, and five. So they think the louder they are, the faster it'll happen. So that's the time that with kids, you really teach them the etiquette and some of the rules of language and the rules of social interactions. And um, they don't get that when they stare at a television. They don't understand that. They don't understand because they don't yell on a TV because they've taught these kids not to, but they haven't seen that teaching. So we have to teach them. Yeah, they're kind of learning through interacting. Mm -hmm. What about when kids are five and they're starting to make their first friends? What do five-year-old friendships look like? <laughs> um, five-year-old friendships are solely based on you do what I like to do, so I'm your friend today. And tomorrow, if you don't want to play with dolls, I don't like you anymore. Hmm. Um, and so you'll hear kids at that stage come home and a parent might say, did you play with Bobby today? No, he. I don't like him anymore. He wanted to play with his other friends. And when you push and ask, it's not because of anything that Bobby did. It's he just didn't want to play with me today because I wanted to play this game that we've been playing for a week and Bobby lost interest. Mm -hmm. So at five years old, kids are trying on lots and lots of different roles. They're trying out lots and lots of kids. When they tell you, I don't have any friends, it's probably because they're not doing something that other kids find engaging. And rather than saying, oh, let me help you make friends by forcing things, give them strategies and skills of other things that they could do to make a friend. Um, now, that doesn't work with all kids. There are some kids that are not typically developing that may have some neuroatypical types of behaviors and they need different skills and strategies that's a whole nother conversation. Sure. But really with those typically developing kids, just finding things that other kids like to do can be really helpful. Mm. Yeah. Is there a way to help those age of kids have better relationships or even as they start getting a few years older? Because you want your kids to have friends and be social <laughs> and be yeah. happy. We have to create opportunities for them to find people to engage with in things that they like. So um, if I'm teaching a kindergarten classroom and I'm noticing that, um, you know, Bobby over there doesn't have any friends that he's playing with, sometimes all it takes is me playing with him because mm -hmm. kids go, wait, my teacher likes him. I'm going to go play with him. Um, and it happens in the real world too. If your child is struggling to engage with people, it might not be because they can't make friends. It might just be because they don't know how to start it. So starting that thing, creating a play group in the neighborhood or offering to play kickball with your kids in the neighborhood, um, going to a park that you know is populated by lots of families and starting to talk to the other, the tall people in the area, the adults or the older people people in the area, mm -hmm. then maybe their, your kid will start playing and talking with their kid. Um, I think that we have gotten a little bit isolated out of fear in society. I mean, 2022 is scary, you know, not just because of this pandemic that we're having, but the fear factor that we've just been all instilled with about, oh, he, he's talking to my kid, he's dangerous. Ah. Or who's this, who's, who's this big person you know, playing kickball with all those little kids in the, on the playground. Yeah. Um, 
and we have to take a step back and and allow for our kids to take some chances and risks while supervising them, of course. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember that um, society and media has really created this fear-based learning. So kids aren't allowed to play anymore. And what's happening is they don't know how to play, but allowing kids to try things. And this is always the hard part, allowing our kids to be sad or to fail (laughs) Mm. is so important. We um, are building a bunch of children that are growing up to have helicopter parents that You know, I, when my daughter was in school, parents would call me and say, you know, your daughter and my daughter got in a fight at school today. And I'm like, okay. And they'd be like, well, let's get them together and solve it. And I'm like, but they're going to see each other at school tomorrow. (laughs) Uh Like let them learn how to do that. What what about, you know, the first person that kids socialize with a lot is their siblings. And there's different ideas of like, when they have a fight, let them sort it out themselves or come in and solve it. Do you have a thinking one way or the other? The thinking that I lie in this is how close in age are they? And part of that stems from the way that kids problem solve changes as they switch developmental stages. So at infancy and preschool, they problem solve much differently than, um, you know, kids that are in that elementary school age group. So depending on their age, I would probably let them solve things as often as possible. If there's a huge age gap, they might need a little bit of help because they don't know how to communicate with each other. Um, So when, you know, if you have just a couple years between them, I'd let it solve itself out until it became unbearable for the household, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, or it became uh, physical in any sense. But even then a little pushing and shoving is okay as long as it's not out of retaliation and as long as nobody's getting hurt. I think kids need to find boundaries and limits and how far can they go and the household and siblings are a really safe place to be because there is some natural embedding that we love each other because we're family. What about in adolescence when they're starting to get a little older, 11, 12 teenage years? What's happening with their friendships during that time? Well, during that time, their friends become so much more important than their moms and dads or their primary caregivers. So it, whoever is at home, making sure that they're doing their homework and going to bed on time and following the rules, they don't want their opinions. And, um, I always laughingly said that when my kiddo entered adolescence, I became incredibly stupid. My intelligence level must have gone down a hundred points. And I, she had no faith in the ability that I could problem solve or had answers for her. Um, and so that first off, I'd like to tell parents, it really is a phase. They do come back. <laughs> I promise they come back as functioning young adults. And those times of them hating you and disagreeing with you become fewer and far between. Your trick really, and I don't know how else to say it, but your trick really is to be that place for them to come and mess up with. Um, and practice recovery with you. And then again, do that same thing. Be careful not to solve all their problems. Um, This is, you know, especially later adolescents, they're getting practiced to um, be independent and go live on their own and go to college or go to the military or go out in the the working world of of grownups. And 
as they do that, they need to self um, solve problems. They have to solve their own things, you know? And so they have to practice that in adolescence. So sometimes give them answers, sometimes give them nothing, but always be supportive in the middle. Yeah. I remember feeling so much anxiety during yeah. that time in my life. Yeah. Really, I'm just getting rid of it now and I'm in my thirties. So, you know. <laughs> oh, I still feel that anxiety and I'm in my fifties. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think the trick is, I think what is, we're struggling so much in society is, is that these kids have so much independence at such a young age and their brains aren't fully developed and ready for that. You know, they enter college or graduate from high school, uh, having to make some pretty concrete decisions in their world and their prefrontal cortex, that's the front part of the brain that controls cause and effect, isn't developed. And it's not developed for several, I mean, little girls, 20 to 21, but boys don't always have that prefrontal development until 23. Mm -hmm. And they can enter the military, they can have to pick a college major and pick a career. Um, and so I think that it's important for primary caregivers and adults who work with kids in this age to know that they are confused and <laughs> they're uh -huh. not ready to make those decisions. What about when kids, so I'm of two minds of this, when kids fight with their friends, and then on one hand, it could be like, well, you got to learn how to work things out with people and get through things. And then on the other, it's good to have boundaries. And maybe sometimes it's good to be like, I'm not hanging out with you anymore. I don't think that's two sides. I think that's exactly where kids should be. I think that we have to allow our kids to say no and we have to allow them to try things and potentially struggle with it. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for us. We as parents want to say, absolutely not. You can't do this. You know, you can't go there. But um, kids have to figure it out. And they do figure it out. And, and when they don't, it's okay for parents to go in and say, you can't hang out with that group. I don't like that group. Here's why. Mm -hmm. But as we all know, when you say no to a child, especially at adolescence, they look at you and go, well, I'm going to break that rule. So give them options. Um, you know, I use my daughter a lot in examples. So if anybody's watching this and knows me, shh, just pretend I don't. <laughs> um, but I can remember my daughter asking to go do things that I knew there were some risk factors involved. Mm -hmm. And, um, sometimes more risk factors than sh I knew she was capable of managing. So a big party where I knew that there might be more drinking than she was used to or older boys when she was 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. um, and so rather than saying no, um, the first couple of times I didn't say no, we talked about what the risk factors were and how to solve them. And I said, you can go, but prove to me you can do this responsibly. Yeah. And um, that, you know, and then sometimes she couldn't prove to me she could do it responsibly and had to be saved. And then the next time she asked, I'd say, you didn't make good decisions next time. So find something else to do or hang out with me. Well, Caprice, this was a great conversation. <laughs> Just thank you for being here today. You're more than welcome and glad to have this conversation. And let me know if you ever need anything else. Thank you, Caprice. Thank you, audience, for listening. Family Education and Support Services, Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.